you have to definitely speak up. So, three, two, one. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. Tonight we have a very special guest coming to us from Ireland. His name is Kieran Coggins, and he runs a, a blog on WordPress titled Cogzilla, uh, G-O-G-G-Z-I-L-L-A. But uh, what we're going to talk about tonight is a topic of particular interest in Ireland, Ireland about a deep agent referenced as Steak Knife, spelled S-T-A-K-E-K-N-I-F-E, who was a deep agent in the IRA, and how that story influenced uh, much of the political history of Ireland and how why that story is important today. So, uh, Kieran, are you there? Yes. Can you hear me okay? Perfect. You're coming through very perfectly. If you keep that uh, tone and, and that level of output, that'll be awesome. So uh, maybe what we can do to get started is talk about your background in Ireland and how you became interested in this particular subject. Okay, well, obviously I'm uh, from an Irish background, Irish parentage. Uh, my family uh, went uh, over to Northern Ireland in 1969. Obviously, you know what happened there, so we left almost immediately. Went back around about 1988, and then I became interested in what was going, over, uh, going on over here, uh, specifically in the border region. I also went up to Belfast, where I lived for a few years. Um, and uh, I met some people, most of the people I met would have been on the Republican side, and I, I would have been involved in a few interviews, taking some photographs, uh, very low level sort of helping out. Um, I then, well, I left Northern Ireland after the season. It was 1994, I left uh, at the end of 96, and I went back again around right about 2001. Again, I, I was interested in the political situation, obviously now it changed, because it was peacetime. Right. So, just to bring us up for the last sort of 20-odd years, I've been dabbling in and out of uh, Northern Irish politics and some Southern Irish politics. Uh, I've been looking at this state knife case because it struck me as being very interesting and very intertwined with what's going on. And uh, as I, I mentioned to you briefly before we started recording, I divide State Knife into State Knife 1, which is what was actually happening at the time, and State Knife 2, which is what I call the State Knife industry. There's a whole industry which has grown up with an awful lot of misinformation, and uh, most of the time the mainstream media over here just prints what the British government and the Irish government, to a lesser extent, would like to be uh, um, putting into the public domain. Right. So the government line of both, both sides of the border. Yeah, I mean, the, the Dublin government pretty much does what the London uh, Westminster administration tells it to do. Gotcha. And uh, so maybe we can talk about who allegedly is Steak Knife and why he was such an important agent to uh, the British government. Yes, indeed. Uh, Steak Knife, or the alleged identity of Steak Knife, is Freddy, uh, which is Alfredo Scapatucci. Now, He's part of the very small Italian community in Belfast in Northern Ireland. And um, he's from a district called the Markets District, uh, which is quite a poor area in the city centre. And it suffered quite a bit from 1969 onwards because that was the focal point of a lot of uh, loyalist um, murder gangs or whatever, and a lot of army intimidation, if you wish to put it that way. Scapatucci was um, at the edge, I suppose, one could say, of the IRA, and he then. Uh, became more and more important. He was given more and more uh, tasks. 
The reason that he was important was he was actually uh, a really sort of the head of, well, one could say the head of security, the head of internal security. He was tasked with dealing with uh, informers or, or leaks, anything that could upset the, the, the balance of the IRA in terms of the security forces. What the IRA provisionals didn't know was that he'd been arrested and he was put under pressure. They, uh, the police had said to him, look, you know, we can send you to jail. I think it was a fairly minor motoring offence. But they had him, you know, he was, he was actually afraid of going into jail. He didn't want to, he want to go to jail. In the end, he actually was sent to jail because it was important for them. Uh, he, he was by now a British agent, or an alleged British agent. Right. Just want to make that clear to the audience. These are allegations that he was steak knife, you know. Yes, and, the, and he's the, never admitted it. Well, I, he's on a death list now, so whether he admits it or not doesn't really matter. Okay. The only point I would say is when people keep using the word alleged, why would an innocent man flee Northern Ireland, and why would he be now be he's, he's being put up by the MI5 or whatever in England, we believe? He was certainly in Italy at one point. He was certainly in Tenerife, which is a sort of a redneck holiday resort in Spain. Gotcha. So, uh, fairly stupid places to hide an Irish person, uh, apart from Italy, I suppose, because that's where his father's family was from. Gotcha. He, he has always denied it, but there seems to be an awful lot of evidence that's pointing towards the fact that he, he is in fact safer. Gotcha. And when, when he was the, the head of security for IRA, did that entail acts like recriminations, violence, and, uh, you know, general... He was under- very, he was very, very clear he would have... Um, Basically, if you, if you or somebody else was were accused of being a spy or an informer, you would have been taken to a remote location and encouraged to confess. Now, that was done by torture. Obviously, there's only one way out, and that's to be executed. They, they didn't give you a slap on the wrist or, or tell you to uh, to sit on the naughty stuff. These guys were playing for keeps. Mm-hmm. So, teacher is certainly known to have been implicated in quite a few disappearances would be the polite way of doing it. Interesting. And it's important to, to state that Scapatici is there in the northern part of Ireland that is the loyalist to the UK government while working supposedly as an IRA agent that the Irish, Irish Republican Army is, wants to reunite all the 32 counties of Ireland. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, just to, to give some additional information... If Scapatucci only really worked in the Belfast area, which is you know, the, the largest city. Now, if you look at Belfast and you look at the surrounding area, it's a bit like a patchwork quilt. You've got, even in West Belfast, where you've been operating a lot of the time, you've got areas like the Shankill Road, which is solidly loyalist. Uh, it's very paramilitary. If you go a few blocks away, you've got the Falls Road, and that's the complete opposite. It's a hardline Republican uh, nationalist area. Right. So you've got the, this sort of patchwork quilt of, of Belfast where he was going around in charge of uh, security in north, south, east and west Belfast. There wasn't really much room to do with East Belfast because he was 99% loyalist. But he, he would have been throughout the rest of the city and, and the surrounding areas. And this is going to be an important point. He wasn't really in the west of the province. We'll come into this more fully later. Gotcha. But also within the Northern Ireland community, there were very important distinctions between Protestants and Catholics, correct? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, 
probably Americans are used to just hearing the sectarian terms. Oh, it's, in fact, when I was in America once, some guy said to me, oh, it's like the Pope's army versus the Protestant army, and I'm Protestant. Well, it's not actually really done in terms of religion. It's very similar to Bosnia and to Cyprus. You have groups there which are defined in terms of religion. Hmm. Uh, in Cyprus, it's Muslim and, and Orthodox. But in Cyprus and in Northern Ireland, it just so happens that the Catholics happen to be Republicans and that you are the Cypriot uh, nationalists, and you've got the Turks who are Muslim. But it doesn't really come into being a, a, a religious conflict. Gotcha. same in Bosnia. In Bosnia, religion is used as a sort of shorthand. People would say, well, I'm a Serbian, but also I'm a Croat Roman Catholic. And then the Bosnians would say, well, I'm Bosnian Muslim. Gotcha. It's far more a, a political prism that we need to look for which is that you had uh, Republicans. I mean, you could, very occasionally, there were um, Protestants, Republicans. You know, Interesting, right. What, what do you think the breakdown in Northern Ireland is between Republicans and Loyalists? Popula- population. Uh, it changes. I mean, I think at the, last, uh, at the last census, it was something like 49.9 versus 50.9. Wow. So it was very, 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 very much parity and parity. Well, yeah, this depends, uh, William. It depends on where you are because if you're in, that's over the entire six counties. Gotcha. Now, if, if you're in, let's say, the border area, it's about ninety to ninety-nine percent Republican nationalist. If you are in, if you go, for instance, to North Down, North An- uh, uh, North Armagh, South Antrim, those areas. It's overwhelmingly the other way. There's a town called Carrickfergus. It is over 96% uh, loyalist. Interesting. Gotcha. Um, yeah, and when they have their own particular colors, right? So the the they, the loyalist identified with William of Orange, thus wearing orange or orange men, right? And then what are the colors of the IRA? Well, we, we do what we call the, the curbstone test or the, or the flag part of the... Uh, if, you, if you're walking down the road and you see a lamppost, you take a lamppost test. If somebody's got a green, white, and gold flag, or green, white, and gold paint on the lamppost, that means you're in a Republican area. Gotcha. If it's red, white, and blue, then obviously the colors of the British flag are red, white, and blue, and you draw your own inferences. But we've got other things too, as like FGQ, FGP. There's various different uh, swear words which you use to, to identify just which area you're in. Gotcha. And that this conflict, I mean, it was I, when I was reading, kind of prepping for the interview, really was a low intensity conflict. There was a lot of violence between different parties. The the kind of environment that Scapatini operated in, or Scapatici, sorry. Yeah, Scapatici uh, would have been obviously involved in what uh, Frank Kitson called low intensity operations. The British were able to keep the lid on it, but they were doing so at an enormous cost, and. It's arguable did they actually win because although the IRA, I think the last intelligence document that came out before the ceasefire was that it could go on forever, but the IRA didn't have the manpower and the money to actually uh, completely overturn the uh, the loyalist uh, government or whatever, and the loyalists didn't have the manpower to be able to completely wipe out the IRA. So it was a stalemate situation. Interesting. And so Scapatici, like he, so he's the security enforcer and uh, he operated supposedly within this environment for decades, correct? I think so. I mean, obviously when he began, he was quite low down, but 
after he, I think he was sent into to jail, as I said at one point, and he he, he began his meteoric rise because he was being uh, promoted and trusted, and he had it's literally like giving somebody the keys to the safe. Interesting. So he was definitely in the top, one of the top members of the IRA. Well, this is what happened with an awful lot of the murders that were that were going on. Were they actually being set up by the British Army by the by the police? So that he could be kept safe. Obviously, they they didn't want his identity known. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, because when I was thinking about the Scapatici situation, it reminded me here in the states of Whitey Bulger, where he was a kind of a double agent. He's a mobster in Boston, but had political contacts, and was FBI used him as a confidential informant. And he would off his political rivals, and they never get busted for it. One of my favorite films is The Departed. Yeah, great film. Yeah. Obviously, is a fictionalized account of Bulger. Right, but there's a real truth to that. The fact that there's people on both sides, like there's this kind of Byzantine relationship with these different parties and who's the spy. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that the UK is running, trying to run multiple operations within the IRA while the IRA is doing the opposite as well, right? What also happened was that you had what we could call a turf war because you had MI5 who were responsible for the six counties and you had MI6 who were responsible for the 26 counties. Uh, now, obviously, if somebody crosses the border, which they do here every day all the time, it, it supposedly went from one uh, particular agency to another. And they were very jealous, jealously guarding their own particular assets. Oh, interesting. And you had the army and the police. Everyone seemed to want a, a, a piece, a slice of the pie. Fascinating. So, yeah, so the MI5 is what? That's supposed to be internal, and MI6 is external intelligence, right? That is correct. For the security community or whatever, if it's happening inside the, the UK, MI5. If it's any country abroad, it's MI6. Gotcha. So um, let's let's. What, what about Scapatici? Uh, you know, what led up to his so so-called exposure? How did that all happen? Well, there's, there's quite a bit of stuff in the public domain, uh, so I won't go go into too much detail or whatever. But uh, it would appear that the newspapers got hold of something quite juicy and decided to to run with it, and that was the the point at which the uh, the army and the government and the police pulled the plug and got him out of there very quickly. Gotcha. So, so it's guilt in my mind. Right. So it's indi- indica- indicative of something that you know they wanted him removed. Um, but who was the who was the guy Gary? I can't, what's the bearded guy from the IRA? There are pictures of Scapatici with him, and we've seen Jerry it. Adams. Jerry Adams, yeah, he's been in the states and been with presidents as well. So it's pretty remarkable that he was right up there with these these kind of well known figures, at least in the states. Well, I met Adams a few times, so uh, yeah, he, he was he was a main he was the main player, right? Number one. Um, so. You know the Scapatici story hasn't ended, so he was he disappears, and uh, what what's happened since? You know this this why is it still important? Well, an awful lot of law cases are now coming forward because people who had their family a member of their family executed or disappeared, whatever term one wishes to use, uh, they're now thinking well, the government was behind this, so let's sue the government. Gotcha. So there's all kinds of civil suits in Northern Ireland against. The UK for for some of these deaths that are associated with Scapatini. Scapatini. Yes, and we also we also need to look at Operation Canova, which is okay. this new thing which has happened 
whereby uh, one of the chief constables in England has gone over there to look at legality, or I should say the illegality of what was going on, because crimes were committed, and if crimes were committed by, let's say, a member of the police, then that person has to has to stand trial. Uh, if if trials were if crimes were committed by soldiers, they had to stand trial. Right. So the rule of law is now being used to uh, to well, it's really embarrassing for, for the government in, in, in Westminster, but it's being used to uh, to punish anyone that's uh, that was propping up Scappatici. Fascinating. So it's kind of it's kind of like in the dirty war. It was uh, they're kind of shining a, a light down on these things. How did Operation Canova get its name? I'm not too sure. I think they have a list, and they just it's alphabetical. Gotcha. It could just have, just as easily have been I don't know Operation Lime Tree or Operation Zulu. Gotcha. Just so happy that K came up. Well, they're spending. I mean, it's a multi multi pound million pound operation. They're spending a lot of money in this inquiry. Correct. That is correct. It is very expensive. And so some of these lawsuits are for significant amounts of money, correct? Again, that's correct, because, you know, God forbid somebody in your family was executed. Wouldn't you want a lot of money? Um, I think so. I mean, they have their own website. There's, I mean, it says their website, Operation Canova, with a looking glass and investigation into the alleged activities of the person known as Steak Knife. So, um, yeah, I, I didn't even bother contacting them because... It's the police investigating the police. Now, I know an awful lot of people over here who trust uh, Boucher, who's the guy that's doing the investigating. But um, as far as I'm concerned, he's, a, he's an English policeman investigating Northern Irish policemen. So, Right, so it's kind of like one, same, same people beyond the line, you know, investigating each other. What, uh, and they're, but they're saying that Scapatici was part of the provisional IRA. So he was, was he part of a break-off group of the IRA? No, he would have been with the provisionals. He would have been with the main movement. Main movement, okay. So provisional is synonymous with the main movement. And what's the what's the break off part of the IRA called? Yeah, well, the dissident Republicans. Uh, I think the term used was Alphabet Army, Alphabet. which is CIRA, Continuity IRA, MIRA, New IRA, who seem to be the biggest, and RIRA, Real IRA, and they're all vying for position. And that's all in in uh, Gaelic, right? No, no, no I mean IRA. No, but I thought were you using uh, Irish Irish words? What's oh, no. okay? Sorry, well I misunderstood because I thought I was when I was doing some research. I thought I saw the original uh, Gaelic language being used in certain instances. Well, if, if you want, I mean, I don't know if your listeners would be interested in learning Irish Gaelic. <laughs> well, you never know. Keep it in English. <laughs> okay, that's good. Um, so, so this Butcher, how long has Operation Canova been going uh, going on? Or? It's been on, a, a, I think it's a couple of years now that it's been, it's been going on. Gotcha. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's still progressing. Still, and that, do, is there any timeline on it, or is it just an open-ended investigation? Uh, that's a good question, because we have quite a few inquiries over here which seem to just drag on. And, uh, you know, perhaps the government are hoping that people will die of old age rather than uh, actually get a settlement. Fascinating. And do you think that Steak Knife was really involved in that much uh, murder or political hire? Uh, political? I mean, has anything come out where they can tie him to directives from uh, MI5 that, that to kill somebody? Well, this is a, a, a good point because... They're not really going to have headed note paper, you know, from MI5. <laughs> dear, dear Freddie, could you please, uh, dear State Mayor, could you please go and kill Mr. Whatever at, you know, 2 o'clock tomorrow? 
Um, but we are actually getting to a point, there's a very old phrase which I, which I like, and it's called, there's a difference between what you know and what you can prove. Right, that's a good that point. Let me say to your listeners, that works both ways. Right, so I mean, you have this guy doing inquiry with the secret of organization like MI5, who probably is not going to disclose, probably all those documents are probably shredded, is my guess. You know, so I, I, I'd be surprised if he has access to a lot of those internal, pa- a lot of that internal paperwork. A good quote from from an American about Britain was, "These are the people who are not allowed to read their history until a hundred years after it's happened." You know, we have the hundred year rule over here. It's a right. sensitive document. Right. Yeah. No, I do. Um, so. We don't. Right. So I mean, there's still kind of inquiry. I mean, you directed me towards a. Uh, a journal of the Phoenix, the magazine with inside stories, they're still writing about steak knife. Yes, this is what I call steak knife too, or the steak knife industry, because uh, there's an awful lot of misinformation that's been put out basically by the, the Westminster government. Uh, and well, Stormont is actually not sitting anymore, but that's the local government for Northern Ireland. Now, um, it was in people's vested interest, the, you know, the powerful establishment that their side of the story on state life is the only narrative that's being told. Of course, mainstream media doesn't have a, a, a monopoly anymore, so right. we're getting far more of a rounded picture. Fascinating. And what does that, what does that rounded picture indicate? It indicates that MI5 had used uh, Scapatucci, that there was a dirty war going on, that there was collusion between the police in the north of Ireland and the Republic uh, to murder people who were deemed to be uh, a nuisance. One of them was a guy called Eddie Fullerton. But there were other people there who just got bumped off. Uh, uh, there was a, a famous solicitor, a legal figure called Finucan, and he was shot dead. So if people came to the attention of the security forces, they got whacked. Wow. Yeah, it's remarkable. I mean, there was, it just was like this low intensity conflict. I think I was reading that during the time, what did they call it? They, locally, they called it the Troubles. I think 3,500 people were murdered or killed. Yeah, about 3,300, in excess of 3,300, uh, known colloquially as the Troubles. Gotcha. And that was during what time frame? Well, we would classify that from the summer of 1969 through to uh, late 1994. There was another little spike a few years afterwards when the ceasefire ended, but it only ended very briefly. And then, and then we've had peace, nominally we've had peace since then. So what, was the, what were the terms of the ceasefire that made it stick? It's been called Sunningdale for Slow Learners. Sunningdale was held in 1973, and it was basically power sharing that the two communities were told, you know, you're going to have to sit down and work together. And the lawyers didn't particularly want the Republicans getting, or the Nationalists getting, anything. Uh, And and they were just told, because of the military situation, well, we can't stay here forever, uh, so you're going to have to cut a deal of some sort, which is what happened. Gotcha. So it's, I mean, it's relative peace for 20 years, 25 years. Um, so Scapatici is, did anybody know where he is presently? And do you think that he'll ever be brought up and, and investigated by any party, including this Operation Canova? Well, he was investigated recently. Uh, you know, obviously he's under police protection. Uh, and he was caught with some sort of animal porn pictures or whatever. And uh, he was up in court. And I think he got some sort of suspended sentence. So he's obviously being watched 24-7. And certainly the distant Republicans, if they ever catch up with him, are going to kill him. So he doesn't uh, have much of an outlook. 
So he's he's marked. Yeah, he's marked. Do you think that he has a bounty on his head? Um, yeah, so he had some kind of like weird bestiality stuff that they thought was so extreme that he got charged with some crime. Do you know what his kind of person, was he married? Did he have children? Did he, how did he operate within the IRA? Well, I think he's got a wife. I'm not too sure about his family setup. Um, all that happened was he, he joined, he was advanced, he went up the ladder and, and, and became the top sort of security person, uh, and then was found out. Gotcha. So, How's that simple? Um, where do you think that this kind of Scapatici industry is going? Do you find that uh, most people in Ireland, all 32 counties, are, are still fascinated by the story? And is it is it being read by the larger UK audience? Um, in the South, there's a bit of a, a sort of ennui, a bit of boredom about the whole Northern Irish issue. They're just fed up of it. But certainly in Northern Ireland, when I was up there interviewing people a few weeks ago, um, I had a, I had a premonition that the, the whole state night thing was going to blow up, and I was talking to people in West Belfast. I couldn't actually repeat the language uh, over your over your airwaves, but uh, it would have been very derogatory about you know the amount of damage that uh, Scapacci caused. Um, you know, I, I went and I talked to some people in the Italian community there. Uh, they were very embarrassed and upset about what happened. Uh, certainly in England, it's a major news story because this is, as you say, the dirty war. It's a very good way of describing it. This is the dirtiest aspect of the dirty war. Right. Just all the murders, bombings. Um, so, I mean, him handing over these kind of uh, Republican patriots probably does not sit well at all. You know. Yeah. The other thing, too, is in at least one murder, they were, they were um, allowing what we might term, you know, sort of small fish to be executed so that he could still keep his cover. Gotcha. Did he, do you know if he ever came under suspicion until those final days that he was, I mean, somebody had to figure out during that time that there was a, uh, a leak from the IRA. Is that true? Well, the IRA certainly from the late 1980s through to the early 1990s, the only time that I can talk with any sort of authority about it, they were absolutely paranoid about informers because that was, you know, missions were going down, people were, were being you know, arrested or whatever, so somebody had to be seen. Gotcha. And, like, well, their, fine, their total objective, the IRA actually did an operation where they took a mortar around and tried to kill Thatcher, right? I think it was John Major. There were, there were oh, actually okay. several attempts. What happened was the Thatcher attempted assassination on Thatcher was at the Grand Hotel in Brighton, and they they narrowly missed her. She apparently she walked out of the bathroom at the last minute, and that's when the bomb went off. Wow. The other the other uh, the mortar bomb thing was actually in Downing Street when John Major was prime minister immediately after Margaret Thatcher, and they basically had a, a mortar in the back of the car, and it was fired into 10 Downing Street, and again narrowly missed, killing uh, the entire cabinet. Yeah, that's right. That's a remarkable operation. So you know it was very yeah it's a dirty war. Um, so in your writing, what, uh, what I mean, you're still posting things uh, presently about the whole Scapatici industry, right? That's correct, because I think we need to, uh, to expose some of the people that have been making very lucrative livings by peddling Westminster and Whitehall's lies. And what, do you, what, what did those lies consist of? Well, th- this is the whole thing about, about Steak Knife. Obviously, he's under wraps. He can't speak for himself. 
But people have been coming up, well, one particular person has stated that they handle Scappatucci. Now, right. if you cast your mind back, I did say that he only ever operated in the Belfast area uh, on the east coast of Northern Ireland. This particular person was a filing clerk in the, uh, in the intelligence corps and was only ever detailed to, to work in the west of the province. There's absolutely no way that he could have... He would certainly have handled some bits of information, but he certainly didn't handle the spy. Gotcha. But do you think that this is coming out as kind of a, a way to camouflage the acts of that, that he might even be an intelligence asset himself? Well, or is that too I, much? I know, I know for a fact that the guy that's been singing this uh, false song about, about handling Scappatucci uh, is on the MI5 payroll. I'm putting that in the public domain now. Okay? Gotcha. Right. So that kind of makes sense. Um, so there, there are these guys, there's a book that came out in what, in 2012 that, that talked about steak knife as well. What are your thoughts on that? If you give me the author's name, I can give you my reply. Oh gosh. Um, Is it Greg Harkin? Yes, that sounds right. Yeah. Harkin so, I'm not too, too down on. Harkin and Hurst. Yes. Greg Harkin yeah. and Hurst. Harkin is a journalist. He, you know, it's like me paying you to write something. You write it for me. Sure. Hearst is... Uh, That's an offer, actually. If you want me to write something for me, if you want to pay me, I'll do that in a second. Okay, well, it works by the way, sure. It works, it works, yeah, as long as it's hard going to. Yeah, absolutely. Getting, getting back to uh, to Hearst, Ian Hearst was most memorably described to me as, quote, a Walter Mitty character, a dangerous Walter Mitty, unquote. Um, Hearst was in the army. He was in the intelligence corps. He was got out of the Army, the Intelligence Corps. He's now trying to sue the Ministry of Defense and the government and just about anyone that moves. He built up a huge uh, portfolio of property in France, Spain, and England. And uh, he's, he's involved in some far from legal activity. Oh, interesting. He you... Basically, you have, you have the electoralist in America, don't you? Obviously, you want to look up who's, who's an elector in your district. Right. Um, now, can you buy those things? I don't know. I don't know. Well, I mean, in, in Britain, you can. You can okay. Now, there are some people, I'm sure it's the same in America, who are ex-directory. You know, they're not on that electoral list, and they're not on it for a reason. He will actually sell you back your own privacy. This is how he's making a living. Wow. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've got some other juicy things as well. But I'm going to What's the gist of their, their position in the book? I mean, do they really cover a bunch of these... these uh, I mean, they're, they're using steak knife... Britain's secret agents, plural, in Ireland. Yeah, well, there would have been more than one. Mm -hmm. But uh, to, to use a fine old American expression, it's a bunch of baloney. It's this guy who claims to be the handler was not the handler. He's got some very dubious links with some bents. We would say, uh, you say corrupt cops, we say bents. Ben, right, yeah. uh, they're uh, dirty police or whatever. So you're talking about people who cannot be trusted. Uh, the Leveson Inquiry, which I don't think you have an equivalent of in the States because you've got a constitution, the Leveson Inquiry was to do with, um, yeah, phone hacking and, and with, uh, police collusion and various other different things. And Hearst was not called because Hearst was, the, the, the judge was trying to politely say, well, you're a liar, so we're not going to bother interviewing you. Interesting. The Levinson was when they were phone hacking all the celebrities, right? Yeah, that's, yeah. that's the tip of the iceberg. Right. They were getting that fake information and publishing it, and the people didn't know how it was getting getting out to the public. Yeah. That was uh, four or five years ago, maybe? That's correct. There was a murder, and, and they'd actually sort of hacked into the 
phone of the girl that was murdered, and I think her dad. You know, obviously very private stuff. Right. Very harrowing. Uh, so some people lost their jobs over that. There was, there was a, a great uh, kerfuffle about what had happened. Right, it was somebody, it was from uh, one of the newspapers, right? They were the ones doing it, or they were paying for it, right? Well, this is another link to Scappuccini, because the News of the World was one of the big, it's a bit like, I don't know, the Tatler in America, it's one of these, uh, it's it's a big scandal sheet. Inquirer, yes. Yeah, yeah, sorry, the Inquirer. And uh, it would be, well, it doesn't exist anymore, but it would have been published on Sundays, and it had all sorts of salacious stories about pop stars and politicians and what have you. Uh, but the editor for the Irish edition was a guy called Alex Marunchak, who has uh, Ukrainian parents. Uh, Marunchak links to Hearst, and of course, as we as we know, Hearst uh, claimed to be Scappatici's handler, erroneously. Do you have any idea who who Scappatici's handler was? Is that is that speculated? Uh, I wouldn't be able to put a name in the public domain. Gotcha. I don't know. I mean, that that would be probably somebody at the top of their mind. Yeah, you just wrote about Maroonchak like the yesterday, I think, on no, your Maroonchak blog. Maroonchak's a journalist, and Maroonchak uh, would have been involved. I'm bringing Maroonchak into this conversation because he was uh, setting up uh, Hearst and a few other people, a guy called Peter Keeley, who was uh, a double agent, let's say. Uh, and uh, he was printing basically a lot of old nonsense about what was going on. So we, we have to look at, at characters such as Peter Keeley, who tangentially links to Scappatucci. Gotcha. There's, yeah, Fulton Keeley, yeah, you wrote about him. Yeah, it's just an incredible story that he was really involved in this, this whole the departed situation, getting people killed. And Do you think that he was well compensated for, for his, his activities on behalf of the Loyalists or the UK government, Scappatucci? Uh, I don't. I think this is one of the things that really annoys Scappatici, and in fact, Fulton uh, Keeley, to use his, he's got an alias. All of the people involved, even M- Martin McGartland, these guys sold out their own side, and they sold it out very cheaply. They thought they were going to get a fantastic deal. They literally were ghosted from, you know, immediately from wherever they were living in Northern Ireland, put on a plane, and literally dumped in a, like a housing project somewhere. Wow. So yeah, they didn't. They didn't end up in. Uh... Hawaii on the Big Island, like they do here, here in the United States. That if you join the Witness Protection Program, you get some decent. Uh, my understanding, you at least get a decent place to live. Now, our Witness Protection people get places like Norfolk. You know, it's just flat and it's boring. Boring, gotcha. Well, they say the the largest uh, concentration of people on the Witness Protection Program is on the Big Island in Hawaii and near Kona. Or something like that. So they get sent off to Hawaii under an alias, all that stuff. So Scapatici is going to have to live his life out in under UK protection, right? Until it's over. Do you know how old he is now? He's, he's in his early 70s. Gotcha. I think he was born in 1946. And what do, you, what do you see like this Operation Canova unra- uncovering? Do you think that it will, you know, uh, really expose all of the misdeeds? Or, or what are your thoughts? I'm pretty pessimistic about Canova on a personal basis, but I've heard an awful lot of people uh, from the nationalist community have said, well, you know, this guy Boucher has not covered up so far. He's actually caused an awful lot of, he's ruffled a lot of feathers. So he's right. So what what feathers did he ruffle? Just some of the loyalist involvement in crimes as well? It's not so much a loyalist thing because uh, the loyalist paramilitaries would have been put in jail. They came out of jail after the ceasefire. 
and they are now, quote, community leaders, unquote. So they're getting a small stipend, and they're still running their own little communities, but it doesn't seem to be much of a recompense when you consider that they, they didn't really get anything out of it in gotcha. terms of their community. Um, yeah, so, so we have to look at, uh, at the various other issues that are involved. Do you um, do you think that there's there is there a significant ethnic difference between people in Northern Ireland than in the uh, twenty six other counties? Well, that's a very good question in terms of genetics or what. Yeah, I think so. I mean, is there are there variation? I mean, you know, I think I'm just wondering if that's a part of the conflict comes from that they're they think they're different than each other, other than, other than politically different or outlook different. There is actually there is a, a Northern Irish Protestant culture which is different from the either the Northern Irish or the Southern Irish um, Republican Catholic culture. So, so. In that, uh, as soon as you go to England, you're called a paddy, whether you're a Protestant or a Catholic or a Loyalist or a Republican. Just. So the English just shrug their shoulders and can't can't make anything of the situation. Here. Interesting. And what do you what do you see as like the future? Do you think that this ceasefire will stick, or uh, what what, uh, what what's kind of the future of that situation? You say you're living right there on the border. Yeah, I'm I'm about two miles south. But uh, my own personal view is that we need to wait five weeks for Brexit to kick in because that's going to be really interesting. So, do you think that they'll actually will exit the European Union? Well, what I think is that when Northern Irish people, let's say the Loyalist community or the Unionist community, when they realise how much money is going to go flowing out of their pockets, they may well decide that reunification is a good deal. Because it's not like 1920. People are not going to stop them going to church or speak their own language or whatever. Uh, so that they would actually get a very good deal from the Dublin government. Interesting. So you think that Brexit may actually end up in as inadvertently into their reunification of Ireland? Well, if we look at a map, I'm sure you have maps in America, you've got the border with Canada. Where do you draw a border? If you're an island, the most sensible thing to do in Britain, Britain and Ireland are both islands, the most sensible thing to do is to draw it in the sea because it's sure. very, you know, very easy for patrol to keep safe. Once you start drawing it down the middle of the 311-mile border we have here, which even at the height of the troubles could not be patrolled. Interesting. You know, dissident Republicans, if you send police and, and the army up to the border, you may as well paint a gigantic target, because that's that's going to be like heaven. It's going to be like every Christmas rolled into one. So do you think the effects of Brexit will be different for the Republican the Republic as opposed to Northern Ireland? Well, there's been quite a bit of stuff in the, in the media over here, and I don't know if it's scaremongering or whatever, but... Uh, we can't do anything until we see what everybody else is doing. So at the moment, everyone's fiddling their thumbs. Interesting. And what's what's the Republic's kind of? Do you have? Are there really significant connections to uh, continental Europe, or, or are you pretty independent economically? Well, if, if you look at the size of Ireland and you look at its geographical position, it's obvious that England and, and Scotland and Wales are going to play a huge role. Now we do obviously have. Uh, ferries and, and, and various other uh, uh, transport links with, let's say, France, which is our nearest continental neighbor. Mm -hmm. But 90% of the traffic goes through England, so right. it's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> That's interesting. I mean, it's that whole Brexit is just going to, it's going to be incredible if it goes through. I mean, is it really projected to go through? What happened to that last vote? That last vote? Well, 
all I can say at the last vote, Theresa May keeps losing votes. All I can say is, if it does not go through, there will probably be a civil war situation in England. Interesting. Because 17 and a half million people voted to leave, and you're now getting people saying, oh, wait a minute, we want another vote. I mean, could you imagine what would happen in America if you just decided to cancel an election, if whether it was Trump or somebody else that had won the election? Civil war. Civil yeah, war. Yeah. 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 No, no, no. Not with America, not with guns and stuff like that. It would be a national, just an apocalypse. It would be off the charts. Um, well, we're at the 40-minute mark, Karen. Uh, is there anything that I missed or should have brought up in regards to Steak Knife? No, I mean, I, I've just covered the whole thing about uh, what I call the Steak Knife industry. The obvious thing at the beginning was, was to do with his culpability. Uh, I think he is. Uh, steak knife. I think Scappatucci is guilty. Uh, and then part two would have been looking at these various uh, people that have been involved with uh, some far from accurate accounts of what was going on with steak knife. Gotcha. So, so you got to be careful where you get your information other than you and your blog at it's it's Gogzilla, right? G-O-G-G-Z-I-L-L-A at wordpress.com where people can look at all your postings which go back to October of 2012 so you've definitely done some uh some writing there other than that where would you recommend people take take a look would it be this other blog the phoenix well the phoenix is actually satirical magazine they've got a very good yeah they've got a very good um uh, let's say correspondent or whatever guy who uh who looks very closely he's got very good links uh with with certain people he gets the inside line so i would recommend Mr. Hush Hush. Okay? Gotcha. Uh, not his real name, I don't think. So I, my guess is the same. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the Phoenix is one of the very few publications that would actually print things which would discomfort the government here. In uh, you know, certainly the government in Dublin, they uh, they they aren't terribly fond of the Phoenix because it's a bit like we have a, a magazine called Private Eye in England, which has got nothing to do with private detectives. It's just called the Private Eye. Gotcha. And it's it's anything that will uh, it's satirical, and it's also they do investigative journalism to a very high level. Oh, interesting! So, so your blog, the Phoenix, anywhere else where people can get authentic, quality information about this uh, this this steak knife. Yeah, the, the unfortunate thing about steak knife and Scappatucci is that everyone has got their own uh, song to sing or act to grind. Uh, there, are, if you just look at the Republican blogs that are on there, if you look at I think there's one called the Forty Two. Uh, and, and there's various other uh, blogs that are on there that have written about him. So just just have a look uh, have a look on Google, and see what takes your fancy. Interesting. All right, Kieran Goggins at Cogzilla.com about steak knife, aka Freddie Scapatici. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Okay, this is Gogzilla signing out. Thank Cogzilla. you. Cogzilla. All right, cool. All right, we just stopped recording. We're right.